Today on The Topping Show, Michigan bans free speech and will now charge people $10,000 as well as make them a felon for misgendering someone. Tucker Carlson's interview with Andrew Tate goes viral. Threads has users begging to leave Twitter, but it actually has the opposite effect. Dale Mulvaney leaves the United States. Biden's Twitter Factors Fiction is released. Twitter to pay creators. Wells Fargo earnings skyrocket through the, all the way to the moon. Justin Johnson sues a researcher who linked their product to cancer. Pepsi's profits bubble up to the surface. Disney CEO responds to Ron DeSantis and claims they're not sexualizing kids. Biden wants to pay off $39 billion in student loans, despite what the United States Supreme Court recently ruled is unconstitutional. America's oldest craft brewery goes out of business. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Gotta say, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me. That, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Twitter. Looks like they're going to start paying creators. Now, the current platform and the current program it stipulates that it's currently by invitation only. So obviously, you know, prerequisites are probably having a fair amount of followers, be pre, I don't want to say lukewarm, but not perhaps be too abrasive. So advertisers would be attracted to that person. And that way, you know, they can sell the most of our products and they're actually going to get a cut of the ad revenue. Now, this is interestingly enough, a expansion of what Elon recently did a couple of months back where he actually set aside about $5 million and he said he was going to distribute that money based on how many views your videos got. And he's going to kind of start the seed money or the seed idea for starting to pay creators. Now, among those in the Twitter's current pool, uh, payout pool was Andrew Tate, who tweeted and he, that he received $20,379 under the new program. And he did claim that, quote, every penny, unquote, of the proceeds will go towards his Tate Pledge Charity Initiative. Now, he is perhaps the most, uh, probably well, probably one of the most well-known social media, fascinating Freakonomics situations where went from kind of people knew him and then he just skyrocketed to eventually becoming one of the most Googled man, actually, no, the most Googled man in the world for a short period of time. Very famous influencer, a lot of controversy around him. Controversy sells, some might say. Still has not been convicted of anything he's been alleged yet for his crimes. So it's actually a pretty smart move on Elon because it got everyone talking about the advertising as well. And Twitter really does need, from a business perspective, need to start putting out some more initiatives for creators to really give them an extra motivation to put more content on the Twitter platform. The reason YouTube has basically the de facto monopoly when it comes to video formatting and entertaining. It's because it's the only one that really pays out any money. And even that, it's, a, it's by no means an easy feat. I hope, and thanks to your help, someday our channel will get monetized. Currently, we're almost at enough hours. Thanks to you, we're getting enough subscribers. Friendly reminder, trying to get up to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July. So if you click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now with YouTube, it's very historical. Everyone knows there's a certain amount of things you have to do, and once you meet those criteria, your video will be monetized, which also has a downside because there's increased censorship. If you say too many things, they will either delist your video or just demonetize your video, which is very 
very well-known term in the YouTube community and the entertainment industry, which just means they'll let the video be up, but you can't make any money off of it. Now, the reason so many people are hesitant to go to competitors like Rumble, BitChute, I think Odyssey is another one, is also the first video game console, fun uh, business fact of the day, because they either don't pay enough or they don't pay at all. And depending on the size of your audience, unless you have a really big audience where you could sell coffee or something to them, it's just it's not financially viable to go on those platforms at this time. Rumble is growing growing exponentially in terms of the user base and number of creators going there, but they're not really going to have that hockey stick effect where you're in business and most other instances you have the hockey effect where you have a kind of a consistent you know performance, then all of a sudden the hockey stick just skyrockets. Now, Rumble did a big IPO, so they got a lot of cash infusion in the company, but it'll be interesting to see what do they do to actually get people on a platform. But going back to Twitter, Elon obviously has the resources necessary to do this. He's worth more money than most people could possibly fathom. And as he wants to strive to make the everything app, increasing the amount of incentives for the platform, that's how he's going to really ramp up not only the creator base, but also the, just the whole production value will increase. So in terms of business move, definitely a good move on the chessboard from Elon Musk. Now, other interesting business news, you have Wells Fargo, their earnings just skyrocketed. Their profits increased by 57%, which begs the question, why didn't I start a tech company? I should have started a bank company. Though I love technology, I know, yeah. yeah. I love what I do, but it, it blows my mind how much money banks can print, I mean make. Now, the bank earned a 9.4, or sorry, 4.94 billion dollars. That's up 57% from the year earlier quarter. That amounts to $1.25 per share, which of course, when it comes to publicly traded companies, that's one of the biggest metrics they look at is, you know, just like if you own a small business, what's the earnings per employee or how much money is generated per employee? Similarly, you're saying, you know, what's the amount of money per share? And that $1.25 per share topped analysts expected of $1.16 per share, which of course, if you're publicly traded, that is perhaps the best thing you could possibly ever do is just knock the socks off everything the Wall Street expects from you because it just makes everyone exuberant happy. They buy more stock. The people who hold the stock currently are also enthralled because you're doing so good. So it's a win-win-win all around. They also know that revenue increased 20% from a year earlier to $20.53 billion and analysts only expected a mere $20.11 billion. Now, the bank made more loans and charged a higher interest rate on them, which boosts its net income by 29% from a year earlier to $13.36 billion. Needless to say is, I don't know, is it funny or is it is interesting Q1 or just as recently a few months ago, you had all the banks failing and everyone was freaking out wondering how many will you know stand the test of time. Well, the established ones are doing quite well and they've been buying up the competition. So again, I'm not a, I don't have a fiduciary responsibility. I don't give financial advice, but it seems like working there is a pretty uh, safe job right now. And touch us how the Seattle evolves. Now, other interesting business news, uh, a little bit more disappointing, it has to do with uh, Johnson & Johnson and the recent issues around the cancer with the talcum powder, which... To this day, I have no idea why anyone would ever buy that stuff, especially if you're an adult. I, it's one of those things where there's certain luxury items I just don't understand why you would ever possibly need it. 
But I digress, people love the talcum powder for reasons. Now, Johnson Johnson is now suing the four doctors who published studies that cited the links between or associated between talcum-based personal care products and cancer. Which the again, Johnson Johnson is claiming is unsubstantiated, it's not the right data. Granted, they've also been successfully sued, granted, with litigation these days and go on for a lifetime in terms of the court systems. But in particular, this is Johnson Johnson's subsidiary by no by can't make this up. Their name is LTL Management. That's like an F plus at most for marketing in terms of like a brand awareness. Granted, it's a subsidiary, you probably don't care about it. Now it sounds like they made a subsidiary specifically to absorb their liability around the 2021 spinoff. So they spun it off in 2021, they absorbed the lawsuit, and as recently as last week, they fired the lawsuit in New Jersey federal court asking for it to force the three researchers to redact and quote, issue a correction, unquote, of the study that said asbestos containing consumer talc powders sometimes caused patients to develop mesothemia. Yeah, I, 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 I should have brought, actually, I don't think I own any pins. I should buy a pin just for the show to have a pin drop on the table. Because we've known for decades that asbestos is terrible for you. That's why if you ever do a renovation on an old school, old house, or anything, one of the things they first have to scrape off the bat is, does it have asbestos? If so, you're going to require a lot more safety equipment. And it is a, some of the sad things where at the time it was a miracle when, or, supposed miracle when they found the substance and they used they pretty much used it in everything because in terms of the material properties it is quite fantastic however there's that big downside if you breathe it it's deadly so there was a time where it was brilliantly used as flame retardant they used it in even gas masks i believe world war ii it was one of the biggest industries of the soviet union back in the day they have a huge mine over there but yeah, now it's, as far as I, I thought it was banned for most all commercial use in the United States. Apparently not. Apparently, I can't help but fathom it's the same substance. But apparently maybe someone said it, it wasn't as bad. Nevertheless, going back to the actual gritty details of the story, Justin Johnson, they're actually facing more than 38,000 lawsuits alleging that the company's top products, including the baby powder, were contaminated by asbestos and caused cancers, including ovarian cancer and mesothemia. And Johnson Johnson is attempting to resolve these lawsuits as well as the future talco lawsuits through an $8.9 billion settlement in bankruptcy court. Now, in terms of a business and being prudent with your decisions, you see this a lot in terms of just settle because one, as I said, 48 seconds ago, what have you. These cases, if you really want to litigate them, they can go on for decades. You've seen this with a lot of class action lawsuits because you could sue them. The court says, yay. You take it to, you appeal the decision. The other court says, nay. So it can go back and forth some quite some time. So there's advantages on both sides, both the perpetrator, the accused, or the innocent and the accused. There's advantages to you get a lump sum right now if you're someone who's affected by this issue, as opposed to it could be, it could take your whole lifetime before you see a penny from this. Also, the lawyers take most of it, but it is one of those things where there is some little advantage there. There also is the public perception. 
public perception of Johnson and Johnson in general, every commercial they have put out in the past 20 plus years, they always brag about being a family company. It's pretty much in every piece of marketing material they make. Every brand they own has that in there. And they own many brands that are around everyone's households. That in and of itself, I think, gives them a big, I want to say, adva not advantage, it gives them a big incentive to pay to make this go away. They're going to lose money on this situation. It's just one of those issues where how much are they going to lose? And then the harder thing to quantify in business sometimes is the brand. When it, in terms of my daily day life with a cybersecurity company, a lot of the things you try to quantify around security projects is, well, what's, what's your brand worth? When Target was hacked and consumers switched to using cash only because they didn't trust the credit cards anymore, not only do consumers spend a lot less in terms of using credit cards versus cash, every study shows that you spend less because people feel the cash, they know it's real, I know it's fiat currency, but they spend less, but they also trust the company less, so they shop there less as well. So there's a certain intangible thing about the brand of a company. And for Johnson & Johnson, I mean, that $8.9 billion compared to their yearly profits and revenues, I think they're going to push pretty hard to get this settled just to make the issue go away. Now, I'll be interested to see if they subsequently kill the product line of the tapping-based powders completely, or if they just find a better, maybe it was a subcontractor or supplier for that particular component of the materials, but time shall tell to see what they do, but certainly not great optics and it's not good PR. So I'm sure they want to get this resolved as soon as possible. Now, other interesting business news on the good side, you have Pepsi profits bubbling up to the surface. Now, they almost doubled their profit from the last fiscal quarter, raising by about double digits in about a little over a year. That is astronomically impressive for a sugary soda company. Now, a lot of people don't realize how massive PepsiCo is. They're one of the most successful food brands in history. And one of the best use cases, or how you can tell is, go, 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 to, the grocery, go to the grocery store and walk down the salt, the salty, I call it the salty snack aisle. Over 60% of the products you see, they own. Because PepsiCo bought Frito-Lay, which if you wind back the clock in business history, Frito and Lay's were two separate companies as well. So if you look at these fascinating organizational charts, they'll show you how many businesses they own. They're one of the largest, most successful food companies you could ever possibly imagine. So for them to keep increasing their profits, that's pretty impressive, especially when you think about all the ingredients and all the components going up in price. Now, the company reported a 10% growth in revenue to $22.3 billion, and it nearly doubled its profits since the same time last year to $2.7 billion for their second fiscal quarter, which ended June 17th. Now, Pepsi also said they expected the revenue to grow 10% for the full year, up from the previous forecast of 8%. So again, if you're talking to Wall Street or analysts or people who want to buy stocks, saying that is a big thing to do and to deliver it is even better. So this is gonna make every one of those, share every one of those shareholders are happy as can be because they're they're doing great, especially during a down economy, 40 year hyperinflation at a time when Americans are supposedly more careful about their money, more worried about their budget. They still have to buy, or they think they need to buy sugary drinks and salty foods. Again, the bare, the, the bare necessities are what Americans think are better necessities. 
eludes me because it is definitely not what is actually bare necessities. Now, Pepsi prices are actually even more impressive than just getting all these profits. Their prices are about 15% higher in the second quarter than they were compared to the second quarter last year. And they partially had to do that because of the particular per, uh, promotion during Pepsi's European division, which is up 20%, which there's a lot of geopolitical issues in Europe, a lot of supply chain issues, I know it's cliche to say, a lot of components come from different places. But to increase the price of your product and people are still buying it, they'll still buy it, is fascinating. And from a business perspective, it's phenomenal that PepsiCo is having such unprecedented success. You'll be able to see how long can they keep this up and how do they increase it? Are they going to do another acquisition maybe or come out with a new brand or a new type of food? It'll be interesting to see where they go from here, but kudos to Pepsi or I guess kudos, I don't know who owned that brand back in the day. Hmm, maybe Cheetos, maybe that'd be a new uh, cliche uh, slang term, Cheetos for Pepsi. Cheetos becoming a slang for word for good, maybe? We shall see, maybe we can shape the culture. Time shall tell. Now, speaking of culture, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Michigan law banning free speech and now throwing out a $10,000 fine and making you a felon. Now, I, I apologize because I do not recommend this. No one should be doing a drinking game to this show because if you were to do it, every time I said 1984, you would surely be copiously inebriated and have to probably need medical facilities. But it is the time to say 1984, two plus two equals five, and they will beat you until they acquiesce you to you actually believe it, or they actually don't care if you believe it, you just have to say it and acquiesce to their belief. Now, I say this because this particular law is Michigan House Bill 4473. I know, very inspiring, great marketing from the public sector. And it did pass the democratically controlled House of Representatives in Michigan recently. Now, this law specifically says that it is a hate crime to make someone trans or non-binary, quote, feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened with words including by deliberately using the wrong pronouns, unquote. And when I say the two plus two equals five, there are many people in the religious community in particular, also people in the middle, and since unfortunately this has become a political issue, you would say on average perhaps people on the right, they don't think that a person could change their gender through drugs, uh, surgery, or clothing, and they think it's against religion or against their, against their faith, or just against their opinion to change someone's pronouns or to call someone by their preferred pronouns. So you have these two different beliefs that are clashing together and now one side of the aisle has the threat of a gun behind them. And when I say the gun, I mean the government gun because they have more guns than you can possibly fathom. And it's important to remember every law that's passed in the United States is enforced by a gun. And the government has copious large amounts of guns. Something to think about every time you hear about a law being passed, because it will be enforced. Now, oh, unless it's, you know, crime and the mayors and district attorneys say don't prosecute those crimes or let the let the cities burn. But I digress. It's, we have, it's uh, sad we have a selective law enforcement these days. Nevertheless, this particular law, I assure you, will be used as a weapon. Now, this is actually a felony as well. 
Yeah, that's right. Felons can't vote. That's very, that is very true. I, I'm glad you thought of that, audience members. It's one of those things where, not only is it a $10,000 fine, which is more money than most people make in, I believe the average U.S. salary or the average U.S. income is about $32,000 in the United States. Imagine losing a third of your income because you said the wrong pronoun. This is astronomically concerning for anyone who believes in free speech, which used to be all Americans. It used to be the foundation of the country. And there are many people saying that the courts won't enforce it or that it's unconstitutional. Yes, obviously we have the First Amendment. However, remember, we have the Second Amendment and yet the government passes more laws than you could possibly fathom for average citizens that are supposed to follow unless you're Hunter Biden. So they restrict gun rights every day of the week. You can't buy a short barrel rifle or short barrel shotgun without copious amounts of paperwork and an additional $200 U.S. Treasury tax stamp. Of course, sales tax on top of that. You have to actually register it, fingerprint, photo ID. You can't buy a machine gun unless it's made before 1986, as well as it has to be actually registered with the U.S. government. You have to pay that $200 tax stamp. Again, with the photo prints, the photo ID. And of course, your state has to allow it. So there are many ways that many people would argue are unconstitutional that the laws restrict the Second Amendment. Now, my three cents on that is the Founding Fathers never had that. And at the time of the inception of the greatest country in the world, people had private whole ships, cannons, and whole mercenaries at their bidding. They hold whole private armory. That's how the country is founded. But I digress. This specific law, while it might be struck down the Supreme Court, it's going to have huge implications. And we saw this because it happened first in Canada and Europe. And it is interesting it didn't start in California in terms of the United States adoption. Because if you look at the trickle effect of many laws and social, I want to say new norms or social occurrences or cultural occurrences, there is a big trickle effect by going from Canada to California, then infecting, I mean, spreading the rest of the United States. And this law, if you break it now, $10,000, your life is ruined. Who can recover from that? Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Most Americans can't even fathom a medical expense. I believe it was like $1,700. They did multiple polls and said, like, can you, could you absorb that cost? Most people can't. So this is perhaps the greatest threat to free speech in my lifetime that I've seen. And long-term, yes, the Supreme Court, thank, thankfully there's, a little, there's people who actually believe in the Constitution of the Supreme Court for the first time in decades. But the cases have to get to the Supreme Court. The cases have to work their way through the system. So people are gonna get dinged. So those first few cases, they're gonna have that $10,000 stripped out of their bank account. And they're going to have to hire copious amounts of lawyers to fight those cases. They're going to have to challenge the law and work its way up the circuits all the way to the Supreme Court. That's going to take a lot of time, a lot of fiscal resources. And it'll be interesting from a cultural perspective, do people accept this? Do they stand up and say what they believe in? Or do they simply acquiesce to the mob and allow freedom to die slowly and painfully? And some might say, well, this law seems to be good. I mean, we, we don't want people to feel frightened. Well, that's also a thing that's hard to quantify. I can't, that's a very emotional thing. Imagine all they have to do is, you don't have to lie. I mean, just lie. Oh yeah, I feel threatened. Why? Oh, he called uh, me a she or 
I, I'm a biological male, and they called me a female. Okay, well, according to, as the law is currently written, that person, $10,000 fine, they're a felon. If you can't pay that fine, they'll throw you in jail, I'm sure. So, in terms of the laws and pretty much everything in life, you always have to ask yourself, how do you quantify it? If you can't measure, uh, there's a really good book that I read recently, and I believe is the founder of J.C. Penny or the founder, uh, it eludes me at the moment. Oh no, it was actually the founder of Starbucks. Which is this book? Onward by Howard Schultz. I believe in that book, he actually, or, I was gonna say, great book, can't recommend it enough. Talks about how he bailed out and turned out the company multiple times, but I believe it was one of the passages where they specifically say things that can't be measured or things that aren't told to be measured never will be measured. And it comes to every metrics in terms of these laws. I mean, how can you tell if someone feels threatened? There's not really a scale of your 3 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Like, the law is written so that they just have to feel threatened. And it's one of those things where the United States used to be a place where I might not agree with what you have to say, but I will fight for the, to the death for your right to say it. Every American used to believe that. That used to be the cornerstone, the foundation for the United States. It's how the country used to be for, as, for years. And to have the threat of silence thrust upon you is quite concerning. And some might say, well, we, we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable or frightened. Well, freedom has a price. You're not always going to like what someone has to say. And I can't help but think, it's, it reminds me of the most famous prolific quotes. And it's the quote that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's very true. Very few people think about the ripple effect or the consequences or the second or third order consequences from actions or laws. Now, in this case, I actually think it's laws being specifically used to bludgeon people politically on the right or in the middle or religious people, people who don't believe in that particular narrative. And it's, I know, drink again, you know, it is reminiscent of 1984, it's thought control. Speech control is compelled speech. They're forcing you to believe in something else. Imagine if someone from the Catholic community came to you and said, you have to say you believe in Jesus. You have to. Otherwise, $10,000 fine and you're going to jail. You have to say he was the son of God. He was. You have to say it. If that law was even whispered, you would see people on the political middle and left freak out exponentially. And they would have rallies and everyone would come together. And they'd have boycotts, social media. Now, with this instance, from a cultural perspective, it'll be interesting to see do people in the middle and on the right actually come together and protest this safely and peacefully protest to get their message across? Granted, it's a house controlled that's by Democrats. I don't know if they care at all what people think, but we saw a huge cultural backlash for the boycott of Bud Light. Will we see that same visceral, same reaction when it comes to the most, I would argue the first or second most important right in the United States and some might say the world, the right to free speech. Will people come together to push back against these laws? It'll be interesting to see, and like I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to another interesting cultural news, you have Tucker Carlson interviewing Andrew Tate on Twitter, 
and immediately going viral. Now, Tucker Carlson has already exponentially increased his reach on Twitter. He has 9 million followers on the Twitter. And he got that within a very short period of time, which also also goes, goes to show you how much of a business blunder Fox News was for firing him as their ratings crash to the ground and become mediocre at best. Now, the injury with Andrew Tate has 73.6 million views within three days. Now, it is important to say when we look, when we say views in terms of the Twitter videos when you're scrolling through, they also, I think they're technically called impressions. So it doesn't necessarily mean the person clicked on the video and watched the whole thing, but it is one of those instances where it came across their, their uh, time frame, not time frame, timeline. So they saw it, but it, I don't know what the actual click rate is. That might be something different. Now, they also got 377,000 likes in about two or three days. And people are, of course, freaking out about Tucker Carlson immediately, immediately, all calling him evil, most, the scum of the earth, because he had the audacity to injure Andrew Tate, who, again, he'll have his time in court, but he has not been convicted of anything yet. Granted, some people find what he says especially abrasive and some offensive, but again, with the exception of Michigan, free speech is still worth something. Now, this interview is about 2.5 hours long, but I want to play one of my favorite highlights as I watched a little bit of it. You're still on but, but force, what does that consist of? Forcing someone to do something, are they accusing you of using violence or? No, they're accusing me, and this thing, they're accusing me of using the lover boy method, coercing them by being nice. The, and, and by the way, these charges presumably are public, so. They're public and this is extremely serious, but if you actually analyze the overall case against me, they're saying that Andrew and his brother, by being nice men, convinced girls to have TikTok accounts and then take the money. And it's very interesting because inside of the entire case file, there's not a single financial transaction to us for money. Uh, again, I'm not a business guru, but I would say that's, that's not a sustainable business model. So I don't know how they're going to accuse him of that. But. What are the penalties? They're extremely severe. Five to 10 years in jail. And I've already served coming up now seven months in a form of jail. Um, they can only so you are essentially incarcerated right now. Absolutely, I'm on house arrest and that counts as jail. You can only be held six months without charge. I was initially picked up, thrown in a cell without charge. Again, this was uh, taking place in Romania, which subsequently now looks like a third world hellhole where you have no rights. You're thrown in jail, eventually you're told what you're charged for, you may or may not get any justice. So not great PR for Romania. I don't know what their tourism is like, but I don't think it's gonna increase from this interaction. And I think the intention of the entire investigation at that point was to find the crime because they had very, very weak evidence. They contacted 2,000 people who know me or knew me. They tried very hard to convince some female somewhere to come forward and say something bad about me. The media machine, which works hands in hands with the justice machine, as you know very well, did exactly that. In fact, they offered bribes effectively. They'd call up ex-girlfriends and say, if you have anything bad to say about Andrew, we can pay you $50,000 for the story. And they tried very hard. 50 grand for that? Now, that's a fascinating cultural difference because I can't help but think if they had that offer for 50 grand in the United States, those girls would just be all over that easy money. Because, of course, in the United States, you also get a lot of cultural social status by accusing men of things. 
They didn't find any evidence of anything. Uh, they then released me on house arrest, and then two days before the legal limit in which they had to drop everything, they charged me with whatever they had from the beginning. Which is that was one of the creepiest things about Romania, this whole interaction thus far. They threw him in jail for, I believe, was it six to nine months? And the Romanian justice system, and I use those quotes, my fingers almost broke by, by the disdain for the quotes, it's not justice at all. But basically they could throw you in jail and they can keep you there without telling you what you're charged for and without charging you for X amount of time. So was it two or three days before that time limit ran out? Like, oh, they, then they came forward like, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna charge you with this. Just on his face service, does that sound like justice at all? It sounds disgustingly backwards ass. Just very little. And now we have to wait for the Romanian judicial system to analyze the file and God willing throw it away. How long did you spend in jail? I was in jail for 92 days in a Romanian jail cell. What was that like? <laughs> it was certainly an uh, interesting experience. Um, I won't lie and say it was easy. It was certainly very difficult. The uncertainty of it, it's a very uncertain situation to be picked up on just before New Year's Eve and thrown in a cell without charge. And I'm asking different prison guards and different prisoners, how long am I going to be here? One person was like, I've been here two years. I was like, have you been charged? She goes, yeah, but I haven't gone to court yet. Like, I've wow. been there for a year. Imagine being in prison for two years. You still haven't seen your court date. I thought I was going to be there for years. And it certainly takes a mental toll on you. And, and I think jail is a different experience when you know you're innocent. When I, there was a guy in there for murder. He's like, yeah, I murdered someone, I'm in jail. You can kind of, your soul and your mind yes. accept the punishment for a crime. But when you've actually done nothing wrong, I think jail is a lot harder. Did you know why you were there? Not initially. So for the, about the first two weeks, I never actually got told in English what I was accused of because I was arrested on December 29th. There's New Year's. What were the circumstances of that? Yeah, December 29th, 5 a.m., the armed guards ran in this house. Uh, they spent all day searching the entire house. They were very interested in electronics, as most federal agencies are. And then they put me, they took me that evening and said, we're going to go and put you in jail for 24 hours. And after 24 hours, you see a judge and the judge will decide if you stay in jail. And the judge decided I should Wait, stay in what jail. What did you do? I mean, did you make, who'd you call? I, I had a lawyer and my lawyer came and he said, we need to analyze the case file. We need to see what they have against you. You're being accused of human trafficking. It's like human trafficking. That's insane. Who, when, what? I went to jail and then I was given all this paper in Romanian. I don't speak Romanian, although I live here. And then I was waiting for the translation. So I think it's about two weeks before I finally got the papers in English to understand why I was in a jail cell. And then I really understood how insane the accusations were. What is human trafficking? Yeah, so the overall, under my understanding of it, they're saying that human trafficking is when you convince a woman to do something she doesn't want to do for financial gain. And there's different methods you can do that. You can do that through force, and you can also do that through how emotional that, coercion. I think most people just speaking from the american perspective most people believe that human trafficking is effectively slavery selling human beings that's what and that's what i believe as well absolutely and this is the thing that's so interesting when you finally end up the enemy of the matrix and they use the legal system as a weapon to punish you for having an opinion you realize how subjective the law is and another interesting thing that i saw throughout the interview tucker eventually asked him well what about the embassies do they do anything for you because it turns out Andrew Tate is actually has dual or triple citizenship. So he's a U.S. citizen as well as a citizen of the U.K. And he said the U.S. government basically did nothing, which, of course, they wouldn't because 
he's pretty counterculture to what the United States government is currently standing for. Although, if you hate the United States, like Brittany Griner, we will trade the weapons, the Lord of War, literally the Lord of War from the movie, we traded him for a mediocre basketball player who is dumb enough to bring drugs into Russia. A little bit of an interesting contrast with the involvement of the U.S. government and the U.S. embassies and all the entities working to get American citizens free or not subsequently free in the case of Andrew Tate or the United States Marine that's still in Russia, the U.S. government. He wasn't, he, they, they didn't fight for him. But Brittany Griner, that, um, the, the one WNBA player that we know about and the one time we actually know, ironically, the only time anyone paid attention to a WNBA trade was when we traded Victor Bout, the Lord of War, for her. Which perhaps is the worst trade in history. Time shall tell, though. We There's still many years for politicians to do what politicians do. Interesting enough. Now, other interesting cultural news. You have threads begging users to leave Twitter, and yet the opposite happened. Now, threads has already grown exponentially when it comes to their user count, partially because it was the easiest adaptation ever. It was basically a plugin or an app within an app within an app. So if you have the fancy photo app, Instagram, which when I think about it, I do, but I don't really use that much. I think it's actual topping on the Instagram, if you want to follow me. But it's one of those things where there's a brilliant placement of it because all you have to do is click a couple extra buttons and sign away your soul. You know, By the way, they know your credit score, your health, your health status, your sexual orientation. More things about you than your family knows. But is there one of those instances where because it was an app within an app, all you need to do is click a couple extra buttons and all de facto, you're already a new user for the new app. So they had a huge adaptation rate. I believe it was 100 million users in, a, in about a week. So one of the highest, fastest growing apps. I would love to see an actual pie chart or a breakdown of how many of those users are, again, just coming directly from Instagram versus people who are signing up who do not have an Instagram account. That give us a good breakdown of how much is it growing versus how much are you simply, how much are they growing in terms of new users versus how many are just bleeding over and expanding from the current people that are utilizing your technology. That'd be interesting to see. Now, of course, it's run by Facebook, which is a deplorable platform and censors more, perhaps more, censors people more than the communist governments. And yeah, it, it's, it's just as bad, apparently. So within hours, of course, Threads is already censoring people mostly on the middle and the right, and it was pushing up profiles while still claiming to be non-political. So they, Threads, the, the chief operating officer, actually said, oh yeah, we, we want us to be uh, free of hard news and politics. And yet, one of the number one people, people have no, one of the number one users that folks have found being pushed and actually already on their little uh, news thread for the app, is AOC, who is a famous politician from New York, self-proclaimed democratic socialist. Granted, of course, she's never lived in a socialist country, but intelligence is a nuanced, rare thing these days. But that's one of those issues where it is political and it's becoming an echo chamber. So many, many people more on the left are utilizing that app. They're saying how evil Twitter is or how Twitter allows free speech. You gotta stop that. And you even have rudimentary, mediocre, I believe he's an actor by the name of Ron Perlman saying, quote, breaking dot, 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 I'm taking my business to threads 
haters going to stay at them, unquote. Now, he actually did not censor himself, I think. I don't know what YouTube does for traffic for swearing, if they blacklist your video, or what they do. Nevertheless, I didn't say the word that he actually said, but you know what it is. Now, it is also funny to see all these celebrities and all these people announce that they're going to leave the platform as if anyone cares. I don't even know who he was. I guess he is apparently his actor from the motorcycle show. Okay. And, of course, it's lefties, celebrities. I'm not seeing a lot of people on the right or on the left saying, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Twitter. I haven't seen that thus far. Now, you also have a software company. You have a CEO of Cloudflare, and he's saying that Twitter is tanking, and he could prove it. Now, he brought out a fancy little chart, and he actually showed the chart where Twitter used to be the 32nd most visited website, and then after about six months, it dropped down to the 40th most visited website. Now, there's a lot of speculation because, again, where's this data coming from? It's Cloudflare, and they're an IT company. They do well, DNS, web traffic, what have you. But it's also one of those things where you're not comparing it to the same time period last year. And when talking to people who make social media content, a lot of people will agree that usership is down over the summer as people go outside and spend time with their families. So on average, views are going down when it comes to social media apps during the summers. And it's interesting, again, he didn't compare this to last year, which that would be a much more comparable or appropriate comparison instead of just showing the six months trend, well, compared to the exact time period the year before. That way, if there's a natural decrease in user account or traffic during certain seasons, it would be taken into account. So that would perhaps be a little more helpful. And let me, there are also people speculating maybe Elon's getting rid of bots or there might, other be, there might be other variables not taken into account. But it's interesting to see perhaps the threat, perhaps thread, the thread is starting to um, unthread at threads. Did that sound awkward and cumbersome? Of course, just like the app. Saved with a joke there. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Dylan Mulvaney leaving the United States and complaining Dylan has not been kissed. Now, this is a person who rose his perhaps the most privileged person in the United States, and some might say one of the most successful social media influencers. It's kind of a point where if you misgender Dylan in Michigan, you will be arrested with a felony and $10,000 fine. Yeah, that should scare everyone who believes in the First Amendment. Now, this perhaps the most privileged person who's gotten million-dollar endorsements from the, bar the largest brands on the planet, including Nike, also Ultra Beauty, Budweiser, Bud Light, that's kind of where the ship started to sink. And it looks like Dylan left for Peru. And Dylan claimed, quote, It's a little sad I have to leave my country to feel safe, but that will get better eventually, unquote. The United States is the safest place on the planet for people. Especially people who feel like they're marginalized. This person was the most privileged person in the United States. Brands were paying Dylan millions of dollars. You have whole groups of support for that community. To say the United States is in any way less dangerous than Peru, I've heard a lot of dumb things, especially on social media in the past six months. That has to be one of the dumbest statements I've heard. That, perhaps that might be, instead of a business blunder, we'll also have a dumb statement of the day blunder or something like that. Let me know in the comments. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, think, maybe we'll think of something together. But it's ridiculous. And also, Dylan is complaining that no one wanted to kiss Dylan since Dylan became identifying as a woman. Dylan has not had the surgery. 
I should clarify because there's many surgeries, but people who critique Dylan and question Dylan's authenticity, Dylan's never had the bomb surgery, which is a trendy thing to do. And I think the only surgery is the facial. So he chopped off Dylan's chin a little bit. If this speech sounds cumbersome and awkward, it's because it's by design by not me, but the people controlling YouTube and the platform, as well as looks like now Michigan. It is again reminiscent of 1984. Now I apologize. This should not be a drinking game because I've mentioned that more times than perhaps be humanly possible to consume alcohol in a safe manner. But I should just have it. It's on my shelf. Like maybe just have a copy here. Just pick up every three seconds. But it is scary how much of a dystopian the world is becoming, including and increasingly the United States. And it's interesting that this person thinks the United States isn't safe. When statistically speaking, it's one of the safest places on the planet and one of the most accepting places on the planet. There really wasn't a cultural backlash um, against Dylan until the alcohol collaboration with Bud Light, Budweiser, in which users were concerned that the average user on TikTok and the average user for Dylan's audience was about 15, I believe, years old. That's when we saw the big cultural backlash and the boycott. There really wasn't much of a boycott with a Nike endorsement where Nike gave a biological man a bra to model. I don't know how that increased their sales, but you didn't see much of a boycott. There's a couple of people murmuring on the Twitter and there are some people who weren't happy, of course, but you didn't see the type of visceral boycott and people prominently refusing to purchase the product. And it'll be interesting to see how does this person maintain fame or increase their fame? Because that is what they're chasing. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Disney CEO responding to Ron DeSantis claiming they're not sexualizing kids. Hilariously ironic that Disney created the Pinocchio film where the nose gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a good metaphor right there if you look for it. It's not, not too thinly veiled. Now, Bob Iger was one of the most successful CEOs of Disney. He ruled, I believe, for about 15 years prior to Bob Chapek. And it's because of Bob Iger, they actually acquired Lucasfilms, which physically speaking was a big success for the company before they shot themselves in the foot with films like Solo, which subsequently tanked and just crashed and burned. And I believe Bob Chapek was also responsible for the acquisition of Marvel. So in terms of his 15-year tenure prior to Bob Chapek, Bob Iger, he was a very successful CEO. It's actually, I need to read his, I believe his autobiography. There's a book on Amazon and I've been meaning to purchase one of these days. And he set up the company for success. Now, Bob Chapek came in and kind of messed everything up. So that's subsequently why they're bringing Bob Iger back recently. Now, Iger defended Disney's legacy of entertaining generations of viewers and claims today he was criticized by Ron DeSantis' attack on the company last prior year which began with the company's opposition of a bill restricting discussions of sexual orientation and gender identity in Florida classrooms. Which again, why do those discussions need to be taking place? Does, does it, someone in second grade need to have gender identity pushed upon them? Do they need to have their teachers indoctrinating them? No, the, the correct answer is no. There's no reason for teachers to discuss sex at that age. None. I actually think it might be even better, more appropriate just to have it at home. Do you really want the government teaching your kids all these things? But I digress. Now, Disney's CEO also claimed that 
they are going to have a full-throated endorsement of Disney ongoing lawsuits against the Florida governor, in which the California-based company accuses Disney's or accuses Ron DeSantis of weaponizing his political power. Which is one of those things where if you never, if they just shut up and they didn't talk politics, they would still have the most privilege you could possibly have as a company in Florida. They had a carve out, so they basically have their own separate district or and county, so they regulate themselves. If they just shut up, they would still have all these great freedoms. As soon as they went against the state of Florida, that's when Florida started to think, why are we giving you billions upon billions of dollars in advantageous tax breaks as well as little to no oversight on, on your actual regulation of your entity? And why are we giving you all that when you're spitting in our face? Politically speaking, that makes no sense. And that is certainly a business blunder of Disney, which again, why do they want your kids talking about that stuff? That is unusual. And it's also one of those things where Bob Iger claimed he wanted to get out of politics, which is why the shareholders were not only just his prior track record of being a successful CEO, when he came back, he said they want to get out of politics. The shareholders like that. Everyone liked that. The consumers like that too. People in the middle don't want to have sexual themes in children's materials. No reason to have it there. There's a time and place for everything. Now, when asked for comment, you have Disney CEO Bob Iger saying, quote, the last thing I, that I want for a company is for the company to be drawn into any culture wars. It's concerning to me that anyone would encourage the level of intolerance or hate that has frankly become dangerous action. Now, intolerance of what is one of my questions. They claim that they don't sexualize kids with Disney, but that's, again, a Pinocchio lie. They actually have a memo and a meeting leaked from Disney where someone inside Disney prominently proudly said they had a gay agenda. A conspiracy theories theorist had a heyday with that because, again, it turned out to be another conspiracy theory that was actually right. You also see in their films, they have lesbian kiss and a Buzz Lightyear, which viscerally from a consumer perspective and a moral perspective, I thought, well, that's interesting. You took that out for Saudi Arabia. So you're, you're proud to make money off the movie and censor yourself in Saudi Arabia, but... In the United States, you said it was a moral high ground to keep to put the kiss back in. They also rumored that they actually put it in to spite Ron DeSantis. That movie, of course, crashed and burned. Same with Elemental, which Disney also owns Pixar. That had a, I believe, non-binary main character. That crashed and burned. The Flash, who... The star of the movie has many legal... Legal... What's a nice way of saying they've messed up multiple times and hit women? It's probably a nicer way of saying that, although if you hit women, you're, P you're a POS. I don't care what, what you think or what I call you. But they hired Ezra, whatever his name was, who subsequently changed the person's self-identity. Got in trouble with the police, changed their identity, sexual or pronouns, and then Disney hired this person because it seemed trendy. Yeah, that movie also crashed and burned. You're seeing, are we seeing a theme here? Their movies are... And then Indiana Jones... Another movie, crashed and burned. They're bleeding money because they're injecting things that aren't organic to these stories. But getting back to the actual nuts and bolts of this. Now, the CEO of, at the time, Bob Chapek, publicly criticized the Florida bill pejoratively called, don't say gay bill, it had nothing to do with sexual orientation. The bill simply said, you can't discuss sexual topics or themes at children. I believe it was up to third grade, which... 
I, I think I'm more maybe politically in the middle, but I, I wonder who, wh why would people want them to have the privilege, these teachers, to talk to kids about that? Then I see the teachers on the TikTok, and I think, oh, dear God, that's these, these teachers need medication or help. Now, Bob Chapek publicly criticized the bill, which led to DeSantis taking action against the company. So Bob Chapek was the CEO previous to Bob Iger. He is the one who made a lot of mistakes, this being one of them. Now, after that, Disney had previously enjoyed decades of special tax privileges to the state. DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, revoked the company's ability to essentially self-govern the land of Disney, which operates, of course, in Florida. Now, I was right. This bill specifically, quote, refuses to allow school boards and teachers unions the ability to hide information about students from their parents. In addition, it prohibits classroom discussion on, in grades kindergarten through third grade on gender orientation and sexual identity. Who would be against that bill? Why does a kindergartner need to know anything about sex? There used to be something that is known as child innocence. Now, Disney also has bearded biological men in dresses, selling dresses to young girls, and I think they apply makeup as well at one of their Disney stores. And they have that to this day. They didn't change that. So I know a lot of people who are politically alienated or more in the middle who they won't go to Disneyland again, partially because they're concerned about many of the things I just spoke about. And yet, it is hilarious to see if, again, Bob Iger, all he had to do when he came back from their concerns in terms of this political issue, all he had to do was say, hey, I don't agree with Bob Chapek. That, that was egg on our face. We are a entertainment company. Well, we want to make entertainment products for kids of all ages. We want everyone to enjoy the experience. That is the magic of Disney. Some political pontifical statement like that and say, by the way, we respect Florida's laws. We don't, we don't believe in sexual... You don't even have to go as far as to say we don't want kids to be brainwashed or we don't want kids in second grade being taught about sex. All they had to do is say, hey, previous CEO, he made a mistake. We respect Florida's laws. That's two sentences. That little tweet probably would have had Florida back off on some of these tax, some of these privileges they're taking away from the company. As a shareholder, I would be irate if I actually own stock in that company. If Bob Chaka, if Bob Iger isn't going to write this ship, and I don't know if he can. They, of course, have more money than we could possibly fathom. They have cash reserves and they have more intellectual property than we could possibly fathom as well. But again, I think there's a lot of money to be made. Just make entertainment products for everyone don't there's a niche for different things but something like disney where you have such a big swath of intellectual property materials from their business perspective i would argue the most money they can make is by addressing the middle audience address the whole country not just a subsegment. because otherwise again you're disney you're alienated alienating a fair amount of the u.s population so I don't know what they're going to do, and politically speaking, this seems to be the political blunder of the day. Maybe that could be a theme, but again, Bob is not making the situation better by continuing to spar with a Florida politician where people in Florida elected him in spades. He went from, the first time he was elected, Ron DeSantis, he won by less than 1%. I believe it was only like 33,000 votes. The second time he for his re-election, he won by about 19%. That type of increase in political... Um, the delta between you and your opponent or the delta between your last results to your current results 
is unprecedented. People in Florida like that politician. So it seems to be a political blunder of the day, but we'll see if Disney's able to write that ship. Time shall tell. Now, other interesting political news you have. Biden Twitter files facts versus fiction. Now, for most of my life, we all heard the rumors that conservatives are being censored on social media, people in the middle being censored. And it looks like, yeah, it was actually pretty damn true. Now, this article is thanks to Elon Musk giving information to investigative reporter by the name of Matt Taibbi. And it got to the point where enough evidence was presented that a judge, a federal judge by the name of Terry Doty, uh, uh, Doty, he issued a order barring a list of federal agencies, including but not limited to the FBI, the CDC, the Homeland Security, State Department, and many more from, quote, meeting with social media companies, unquote, to suppress free speech because they successfully showed documentation that there is historical fact they did that very thing. Government agencies went to social media and said, hey, we're concerned about, we're, we're concerned about users X, Y, Z. You should take care of them. Read between the lines. I know very few people read these days. It's a lost art, I would say, but that's a de facto ban. In some cases, they named specific people they want to be banned. So another win for the conspiracy theorist, it actually did happen. And it's for, this judge blocked them from any, having any communication in that way. Now, big free speech, this was particularly a Louisiana attorney by the name of Jeff Landry and Missouri attorney Andrew Bailey. And probably one of the best things since Elon Musk bought Twitter was bringing a lot of this evidence to the light. As a wise man once said, light is the best disinfectant. And it'll be interesting to see how much more of these truths come out in terms of social media. Now, other interesting political news you have. Biden wanting to cancel $39 billion in student loans despite the United States Supreme Court saying that's unconstitutional, you can't do that. Now, this specifically, the Biden administration announced that they would want to cancel $39 billion of student debt owed by more than 804,000 borrowers whose debt has been outstanding for more than 20 years. Now, I don't know why you can't pay off a loan in more than 20 years. I understand there are circumstances, but from a moral perspective, this also be, seems to be a trend of the United States government these days where they're frequently rewarding bad behaviors and showing people that you don't have to actually be responsible for anything. The government will just, big daddy government will, ta will, uh, will take care of everything. Whether you chose a crappy degree and you have all my sympathy. A lot of colleges push BS degrees that will never get a return on investment. I think that's certainly something we should th sit down and talk about how public schools brainwash kids to think if you don't go to college, you won't be successful. Ironically enough, the most successful people I know who are all, I know more millionaires who have no college degree than people I know who have college degrees who are still paying off those copious amounts of debt. So that's a conversation in and of itself we should be having. But again, where's this money coming from? You and me, the taxpayers. Doesn't, doesn't seem fair. We didn't, we didn't pay for those degrees. We didn't choose to take those loans out, but we'll be on the hook. Now, the education department said it wanted to implementing its plan to, quote, they announced in April 2022 to compensate Bowers for what they called, quote, unquote, historical inaccuracies and other failures in how the agency and its contracted loan services had managed the income-driven repayment programs. This program is separate from President Joe Biden's sweeping student loan reform program that the Supreme Court struck down a couple weeks ago. But the announcement comes as Biden administration looks to highlight 
its alternative pathways for delivering student debt relief. Which is a, fan, a, very clo- a very fancy way of saying bailing someone else's out. Now, when asked for comment with Kamala, we have a VP Kamala Harris, she said, quote, we will not stop here in a statement praising the announcement as a quote, quote, historical step to alleviate student debt burdens. Now, again, they are in many ways, in many times, student loan is a burden, but it's a burden you chose. It's a harsh reality that you do have to man up and take responsibility for the decisions you made. Are the students, I would say the teachers, predatory and brainwashing students to think that's the only way they'll be successful? Uh, that's certainly something we can argue, but at the end of the day, it's the decision they made. They have to live with it. And from more perspective, and also a political perspective, I don't think it's the government's job to bail out, bail them out. And again, your neighbors and the people who didn't take out loans are the people that are bailing it out. So it'll be interesting to see how this new mechanism that they're trying, will the courts challenge that and overturn it and cancel it as well? It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have America's oldest craft brewery closing. Now, the specific brewery in question is by the name of Anchor Brewing Company, established all the way back in 1896 by Ernest Bruth and Otto Stinkel, which... B-plus for marketing. Not a lot, there's not a lot of autos these days, now that I think about it. Pretty unique. Now, Anchor was purchased by Frederick Douglass Fritz Maytag III in 1965 in order to prevent its closure, and the company Brewing operated it at its current location since 1979. It goes down the rabbit hole we go with ownership. Now, in 2010, the company was purchased by the Griffin Group, which is an investment and consulting company focused on alcohol brands, and became part of Anchor Brewers and Distillers, LLC. Again, in 2017, the company was acquired by Sapporo Breweries for $85 million. Sapporo's ownership had overseen significant declines in revenue for the brewery. In 2023, Anchor ceased brewing operations with plans to liquidate the business. So it's very unfortunate. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how big of a factor it is that is based over in San Francisco, which is bleeding businesses every day, both with businesses going out of business forever and also just relocating to literally anywhere else because crime is rampant and they pass the laws where they basically don't prosecute crime anymore. Perhaps not a good prudent decision, but it's a decision they made, the state, the people. But I can't help but wonder if they'd still be in business if they were headquartered in Iowa or Texas or Florida, anywhere where the cost isn't as much. One of the most prohibitive parts about doing business in San Francisco, in addition to the risk of being stabbed on or crapped on literally there's so much human decrement and feces in the street there's an they created an app they created an app called poop app and it'll tell you throughout this shitty i mean city where people have defecated so you try to avoid it that's how big the problem is now instead of trying to fix the culture they just invented an app which obviously didn't do anything to resolve the problem but another really prohibitive thing to doing business in san francisco is the cost of real estate the cost of the land the cost to run a business everything is more expensive from the lease for the actual land, electricity, internet, wages, regulation, all those things make it prohibitively difficult to run a business. And it sounds like for decades, they've been having financial issues. And again, I don't know if it's just something where they need better marketing, but having those big costs to operate the business could not have helped. So it is 
really, it is sad to see such a legacy brand fade away. And unfortunately, they weren't acquired again or relocated. But certainly, they should have done something different. And unfortunately, that is, that is has to be the business, the business blunder of the day. Now, I want to especially thank everyone for taking the time to tune in today. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to like and comment. The feedback is greatly appreciated as we made the show better and better. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.